community for people who've given up on church but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Well, uh, I want to start today's message with a question, a very important question. Uh, is it Yanni or Laurel? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Here's the question I want to start with today. Real, real serious question. Uh, if you were able to ask God for anything, if you were able to make a request of God and know for certain that he would respond, that he would act, that he would do what it is that you ask him to do, what would you ask of him? If you could make any request, what would you ask of him today? Maybe for some of us it would be to, to put back together to fix a broken marriage. Or maybe for some of us there's a, a relationship with a child that has just, well, it's just gone, gone in the wrong direction. God, would you heal that relationship? Maybe for others of us it's actual physical healing. Right? Our, there's something broken in our bodies or emotional healing. There's just an ache or a grief or a longing that just won't, won't mend. Uh, still, for others of us, maybe it's just the request for meaningful work that we are, we are gifted for, and, and we just can't seem to find that. Or, or maybe it's as simple as a friendship. We're lonely, and we, we long for just that one true friend. God, could you give me that? What would you ask of him if you could ask anything today? There's a story in the Bible of a dad, a, a dad with a young son, and, and this dad, he just got this thing that's just killing him because his son has been tormented for a long time, both, both spiritually and physically. And the dad, I mean, he, being a good dad, he's done everything he has in his power to fix it, but he can't. And so the dad comes to Jesus' disciples and he says, hey, you guys do something about this. They do everything they can, but they can't seem to fix it. The dad finally makes his way to Jesus. It's his his last resort, his last request. And he says these words to Jesus and just hear the longing and ache in what he asks. He says, Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Jesus, if you can do anything. And Jesus picks up on this word right here. You can kind of sense the silence and and this word if just hangs in the air. And look at how Jesus responds. He says, if you can, if, said Jesus, anything is possible for one who believes. So what would your life be like today if you actually believed the power of God was available to you? What would your life be like if you actually believed that anything is possible? See, the truth is, we all need power, don't we? We all need power. I was thinking, uh, you know, what would it be like if that power was to flow in our lives on a daily, even kind of a regular basis? If we were to experience the power of God, what would our lives be like? I was thinking about a lesson in power that I learned when I first moved here just a little over four years ago. I can't believe it's already been four years. Uh, Holy cow. Uh, But when I first moved here with a family, a friend from church took us out on their ski boat, and they were going to teach this kid from LA how to water ski on Lake Norman. Now, I didn't know how to water ski, but I I had snow skied. So I I thought, you know, I've got this thing licked. How, how How much harder can it be to water ski? So I got out in the water there and 
and I'm behind the boat, and you know the drill here. And so then he, he, let, he just lets the throttle go, boat takes off, right? And I did what any of you probably would have done the first time you skied. I sat there, and I tried to pull myself up out of the water, right? How many of you know you cannot pull yourself up when you're skiing, right? So I, I, I pulled myself up, and the problem is that when you, when you pull, then the very next moment, the line goes slack, and your face goes smack, right? So it's like slack, smack, slack, smack, slack. You get, get the rhythm here, right? I kept doing this over and over. I mean, I had swallowed so much water. Like, Duke was worried the water level was low, you know? I mean, it's like, this is how bad it was, right? So my friend, after all, I don't even know how many times. It was humiliating. He says, listen, Aaron, there's a reason they call it a power boat. He said, you have to let the boat pull you out of the water. I said, oh, okay, I, I, I can try this. Uh, so I, I got back in the water. I mean, I, I, I didn't have anything else to try. So I, I just laid back and I actually closed my eyes because I had to like, I had to try to not try. Do you, do you know that feeling? So I laid back. I just closed my eyes so I wouldn't know when the boat was taken off. I would just let, and then I let it. And it pulled me up and I was on the water and it was amazing for like three glorious seconds. <laughs> Until I learned my second lesson about water skiing, which is about this thing called a wake. Have y'all heard of the wakes before? And it was like, wake, smack, wake, smack, wake, smack. So you get the drill. That was it. But I learned a powerful lesson that day, right? That coming up out of the water, I could not do that on my own power. I needed a power greater than myself. You see, the truth is we all need power. We need power to grow, power to change, power to heal, power to love, power to become more the kinds of people that God has created us to be. We simply can't do that on our own. It's actually a question that I have been asking for years. This question, it's kind of core to my, my personhood. In fact, this very question, how does a human being change and grow, is the question that led me to study psychology at UCLA. That was my undergrad degree. I, I wanted to know, how do people grow? How do they change? Can they change? Can they grow? Uh, and then after that, I entered into seminary. That's where you go. It's a graduate school when you want to be a pastor. And this question was ever before me. How does God change people? How does God help people to grow? And this question is actually still with me years later. Uh, I, in fact, this week I have the privilege of starting. This is kind of crazy. I'm going back to school, if you can believe it. I'm going to start a doctorate program at Gordon-Conwell Seminary that is all about this question. All about the question, how does God use a church to form people spiritually into the kinds of people he wants them to be? That's the question that kind of sits at the center. Now, we're in a series right now on the Holy Spirit. And today's Sunday in the church calendar is something known as Pentecost Sunday. Some of y'all who are familiar with church calendars may, may be familiar with Pentecost. It's the day that we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. Now, what a lot of Christians don't know, or maybe what they don't fully realize, is that that one of the Spirit's major roles in the life of the Christian is playing the role of power. The Bible's very clear about this. When the Spirit comes, whenever the Spirit comes, there is always power. But what kind of power? Well, we see this power show up three times key times in the whole story of the Bible. And we've talked about this over the last couple weeks some. The first time we see the Spirit's power show up is at creation. If you were with us, you remember we talked about how the Holy Spirit is like wind. Remember this picture? Wind that's blowing over these deep, dark, chaotic waters. And somehow through the power of that Spirit, beauty and life is created. Then the Spirit shows up again 
eons later when Jesus comes in the flesh. And the Spirit, right after his baptism, comes upon Jesus, and Jesus begins his earthly ministry, the Bible says, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Interesting. So Jesus, his power somehow connected to this Spirit. And then the third time actually comes on this very weekend, the weekend that we celebrate Pentecost, right at the birth of the church, right when the church is beginning, the Spirit shows up, and the Bible says it shows up, he shows up again in power. So what is all this about? Well, I want to give us a little bit of the backstory on this Pentecost thing in case this is new to you. Uh, Really interesting, Jesus, uh, near the end of his earthly ministry, uh, he was getting ready to leave earth. So he gathers his his followers and says, listen guys, here's the deal, Uh, I'm getting ready to peace out, okay? And they're like, no, Jesus, don't leave us. We really like having you with us, please don't go. He's like, no, 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 I have to go away so that my Father can send the Spirit to you. And they're like, the Spirit, Jesus, what are you talking about? We, we just want you with us. And he said, no, no, I get it. I'm with you, but here's what's really cool. I'm going to leave you, and the Spirit's going to come and not just be with you. The Spirit is actually going to live in you. What's better than having Jesus with you is having the Spirit in you, Jesus says. And that's exactly what happens When the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus says he will come and he will clothe you in power. What an interesting picture, huh? So what is this power? What kind of power does the Spirit give? What kind of power does Jesus think is going to be clothing us from on high? Well, physicists tell us there are two kinds of power. And if you remember your physics class from high school, well, even if you don't, you already know these two kinds of power, even if you don't know their names. The first kind of power is what we call potential power. Y'all, y'all know potential power. Potential power is like the rock that's up on the hill somewhere, and then like an earthquake happens and that rock rolls down the hill, right? So the rock has potential power. It's been sitting there for millions of years just waiting for that earthquake to happen and then the rock rolls. Another way you can think about it is potential power is kind of like your teenager asleep at noon on Saturday, right? They're filled with potential energy, but it might take a million years, right? You see the connection, right? You get the feel for potential energy? Okay, now, actual energy, actual energy is just the opposite. Actual energy is energy in motion, energy that is active. Physicists call it kinetic energy. It is energy, power on the move. And even if you don't know it, you do know it, and you learned it when you were eight years old. Take a look at this. It is a wonder we don't all need therapy after Saturday morning cartoons, isn't it? Yeah. Did you ever notice this, Wiley County? There's no plot. It's the same story every time. There's some kind of blowing up dynamite thing, potential power. There's a spark or a match or a light, actual power. And, and then that's it. That's the whole story. This is over and over and over again, right? 
You see, we all know what dynamite can be as actual power. Now watch this. Why did I bother showing you cartoons at church? Well, it's just fun to watch cartoons, but watch this. Acts 1.8, Jesus tells the guys, listen, when you, when you receive power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What's the word that Jesus uses for power? It's the Greek word dynamis. Does that sound familiar to anyone? The kind of power that the Holy Spirit gives is explosive, dynamite-like power. For you will receive explosive, dynamite, kinetic power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, how does that strike you? Is that kind of provocative to you? I think that's really curious. Now watch what happens next. In the very next chapter of Acts, this is exactly what happens. The guys have been waiting for the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and Luke tells us about it in the second chapter of Acts. Here he goes. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like, a blowing, like the blowing of a violent wind. Hmm, we've heard that before, right? came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, these verses are the very reason some of y'all gave up on church years ago, right? Because some of y'all grew up in church settings where when you heard the Holy Spirit, you went like running for the hills. Because the only power that the Holy Spirit gave was the power to be weird. Right? I mean, think about it. Like, you, you didn't even call it the Holy Spirit in the, that church. Do you remember what you called it? Oh, come on, some of y'all. The Holy Ghost, right? The Holy Ghost? I mean... I'm supposed to be afraid of ghosts. Why are we calling this ghost holy? This is, this is not good, right? That's what, that was some of y'all. It's not obvious. Some of y'all, that was the reason he said, gosh, this is kind of weird. And what is all this stuff with flames and then, and then tongues? And this is just kind of creepy, Aaron. But what I want to show you is this actually isn't creepy at all. In fact, the Jewish people there that day would have known exactly what God was up to. First of all, this is what he did. They were in Jerusalem, a cosmopolitan city surrounded by nations that spoke other languages. So the first thing the Spirit does is the Spirit gives them power, ability to communicate about Jesus in the language of other people in the city that day. Luke tells us there were as many as 16 different nations that day, 16 different languages that were spoken, and people from all of those nations put their faith and trust in Jesus. That's pretty powerful. But it wasn't just that. There's something else that is going on here, and it has to do with this whole image of fire. Again, all the Jews that day would have been very familiar. They would have known exactly what Luke was talking about here with these little flames above their heads because fire was another symbol in the Bible for God's power. In fact, maybe you're familiar with some of these stories. A guy named Moses who God is going to recruit to lead his people, first encounters God through a burning bush, right? God's presence, God's power in fire. Then Moses leads the people out of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And do you remember how God accompanies them? The Bible says God goes before them as a pillar of fire. Interesting. Well, then Moses and all the guys, they build a little tabernacle and then later a temple. And inside of this tabernacle, inside of this temple, God commands them to put an oil lamp that would burn a flame in perpetuity as a reminder of God's presence, his power, the fact that God was choosing to reside, to live in 
his temple. Fire. Interesting. Now fast forward a couple hundred years and along comes Jesus. And Jesus is out in the middle of nowhere next to a well and he's going to have a conversation with a woman at this well that is going to change everything. This woman was a Samaritan woman. You don't need to know much more about that other than that meant that Samaritans thought that you were to worship God in this temple. Jews thought you were supposed to worship him in that temple. And so the Samaritan woman asked Jesus, Jesus, which temple does God live in? In other words, when I go to worship God, which temple should I go to? Where's his real home? And then Jesus says this thing that just kind of blew everybody's mind. He said, listen, I tell you, there is coming a day when you will no longer worship him in the temple, but you will worship him in spirit and in truth. Interesting. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the moment that is about to happen at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is going to break out of the temple and come and take up residence in each and every believer. In fact, it's kind of like Elvis. Y'all remember Elvis? Elvis has left the building. This is the Holy Spirit. He's like, the Holy Spirit has left the temple. And he's gone. And he's come. And then that's why the flame comes as one flame into the room. And then Luke tells us in the text that the flame separates into individual flames and hovers over each individual believer. What's happening? The Holy Spirit is coming to live, just as Jesus said it would, in the hearts and souls of every believer. This was so hard for the Christians to get their minds around. They couldn't even really believe it. It was such a struggle that that a few years later, the Apostle Paul actually has to write to the Corinthians, to the church in Corinth, and remind them of this very truth. Look at what he says here. He says this, Do you not know? Hey, listen up. Did no one tell you guys? Have you forgotten that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Full circle, huh? Fire, power, coming to live. And here is the big and crazy idea. This is why I'm harping on this so much this morning because here's the first idea I really want you to grapple with with me today. Here's the crazy idea. If you are a Christian, if you have chosen to put Jesus as the leader of your life, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Give it done. If you are a Christian, this same Holy Spirit lives in you. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Dallas Willard, and he talks about how difficult it is for us to get this, our minds around this idea that the Spirit, the the power of the Spirit actually resides in us. Because it's so easy for us, just like the Corinthians, to lose sight of this. And he tells a story about the day electricity came to town. Dallas grew up in a small farm uh, community in Missouri in the 1940s. And he said he still remembers, it was his senior year of high school, when the REA, the Rural Electric Association, came to his town. And for the first time ever, electricity was brought to their, their neighborhood. And so they, the REA came through and set up a bunch of electrical poles, and they, they ran power to each house. And then Dallas said the funny thing was, though, no one knew what to do with this power because none of them owned any electrical appliances. They had the power, but they didn't know what to do with it. Their entire lives ran on coal oil. 
Dallas says it can be like this for us often with the Holy Spirit. For many of us, this is exactly what the power of the Spirit is like. It's right there. It's in us, but we don't know what to do with it. Well, Dean is going to talk about this next week, and he's going to answer all of your questions. I, I joke, but listen, it's, it's going to be an awesome message. You will not want to miss it. Dean is going to take this a couple steps further. Today, in these last few minutes that we have, I just want to answer one simple question here. We are almost done. One simple question. Why, why did God give us his spirit? Next week, we're going to unpack way more in this. But for today, why did God give us his spirit? Because a lot of us, you know, if we're honest, we've grown up with a version of Christianity that is all about our own effort, right? All about our pulling ourselves up out of the lake water. In fact, for many of us, this is what we think it is. It's about somehow obeying the rules or it's about our own performance, in fact, just this last week, I had a conversation with a guy uh, over in Huntersville. Uh, I was hanging out at a coffee shop doing some email, and we struck up a conversation. He found out I'm a pastor. Usually the conversation just goes south from there. But anyway, he, uh, he, we got to talk. He said, yeah, you know, this, this are his words. I've heard this so many times. Maybe you even have spoken this. He said, you know, I've, I've been wanting to get connected to God again, but I need to get my life cleaned up first. As if somehow my ability to change myself is what I must do before I come to God. But you see, that's not Christianity at all. The story of Christianity is that God accepts us as we are, and then he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to help us become who he's made us to be. You see, the order matters. Look with me about, at how Paul uh, talks about this. Paul says uh, that the power to change comes not from trying harder, not from gritting my teeth and trying to pull myself up out of the water, but it comes from something that he describes as walking by the Spirit, living by the power of the Spirit. He writes this in Galatians. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not able to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, a ton of theology in these few verses. I'm not going to unpack all of it. Let me just show you one thing I want you to see in this verse. Paul says, look, there are basically two ways that we can live. We can live by the spirit. Or we can live what he calls under the law. What's that? Under the law. Under the law is Paul's phrase for rules-based religion. Y'all know what rules-based religion is, right? You remember rules-based religion? Don't dance, don't chew, and don't date girls that do. <laughs> That's what my grandma always said. That's rules-based religion. And, and look, we all kind of know this, don't we? We all have some version of this. What's really funny is even if you didn't grow up in a kind of a religious context, you have some set of rules that you thought you were supposed to live by, and you didn't even live up to your own standard, right? Nobody, right? This, that's kind of rules-based religion. And Paul says, look, rules-based religion is always going to lead to a kind of death. There, there's no real change in that because rules only affect our external behavior. They do not have the power to change the human heart. And I was thinking about this with... Uh, with an example from my own life this last week when I was driving down New 16 and looking at the speed limit signs. Now, let me tell you a thought that I have never had driving on New 16. 
I have never been driving on New 16, seen the sign that tells you the speed limit, and thought, oh, I'm so glad they told me the speed that it is safe to drive on New 16. That's my heart's desire. <laughs> now, maybe some of you have had that thought. I've never had that thought. You know what my thought is? All right, it says 65. I can probably get away with 69, and they won't pull me over, right? Like, that's where my heart goes. <laughs> you feel me on this? Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now, watch this. Watch this. That is what rules always do. It is our human nature, once we establish a rule, it is our human nature to say, all right, where's that rule? Oh, it's right there? Okay. Right? I want to see how close I can get to that rule before I do something I have to apologize to Jesus about. Right? That's just kind of, that's just how I am. The minute rules are established, we start looking for loopholes. That's what rules do to us. In fact, this is one of the big beefs that Jesus had with religious people in his day. It drove him nuts because he had all these religious leaders and they knew all 600 and whatever laws from Moses' law, but that wasn't enough for them. They had to write books upon books upon books of loopholes about how to get around the laws. That was it, right? Because that's what the rules did to them. And then Jesus comes along and says, listen, guys, you know all those laws? Here it is. They're all summed up if you love God and you love your neighbor. Done. And they're like, we got to kill this guy. This is not going to work, right? I mean, this was, they, they did not know what to do with this because that's what rules do. Rules do not have the power to change the human heart. And so Jesus comes, he says, there's another way. There's another way. I'm going to show you another way. I'm going to send my spirit to live in you and give you the power to live another way. What Paul says, by the spirit. I was thinking about this one last analogy. I didn't do this in the first service. But, you know, rules-based living, it's kind of like driving a car and staring at the edge of the road. Do you, do you get that picture, right? Like I'm staring over here because I just all I'm worrying about is where the edge is. Whereas life by the Spirit is like looking at the car in front of me. Do you catch that difference? Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you'll experience this power. Now, the text goes on in Galatians. If you're familiar with this passage, Paul says, look, there are a lot of things that are going to happen in your life if you decide to live under the law, but what he calls by the flesh. He says, uh, the deeds of the flesh, they're obvious. I don't need to list them for you. You probably already have a list. Your list from college is probably twice as long as this one. So uh, don't worry about it. We all got our list, right? Then he goes on in the very next verse to tell us what the power of the Spirit produces in our lives. He says this, the fruit of the Spirit, the stuff that is produced by the power of the Spirit in our life is love, joy, peace, forbearance, that's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then look what he says next. Against these things, there are no rules. In other words, the reason God's Spirit comes to live inside of us with power is to give us the power to become the kind of people He created us to be. Do you see? That's the role of the Spirit in our lives. But notice whose fruit it is. But the fruit of the Aaron is... No, 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 it's not the fruit of the Aaron. That's the list above that we already read from the college days, right? Whose fruit is it? The Spirit's. Who is the one who produces this in us? 
the Spirit. Whose power is it that we walk by? The Spirit's. It's the picture of a child taking her father's hand and walking step by step as the, as the father enables her to take that next one. This is exactly what happened to my friend Scott. Uh, I'm going to end with this story. Scott was, uh, uh, well, I first met Scott uh, about 20 years ago. And Scott was one of the meanest, uh, most bitter men I'd ever met in my life at this time. Uh, Scott, in his own words, liked fast cars and fast women. Uh, Scott had wrecked multiple fast cars, and he had wrecked his marriage and his family too. Uh, Scott was angry, uh, he was hurt, he was bitter, and he was alone. But then Scott met Jesus. And he surrendered his life to Jesus' leadership. And Scott got involved in a 12-step program in the basement of the church where I was on staff. Scott and I struck up a friendship there. And Scott was sharing with me some of the journey, some of what he was learning in this 12-step program. And I'll never forget the first time I heard these three phrases. He, He said, Aaron, there's a shorthand for the first three of the 12 steps. And it goes like this. He said, the first step is, I can't. The second step is, God can. And the third step is, I'll let him. Don't you love that? I can't, God can, I'll let him. And as I walked with Scott, it was like I was getting to witness the power of God's spirit growing in him through this very process. Because I can't, God can, I'll let him is what it means to walk by the spirit, isn't it? It's saying, God, I can't become more loving. I can't become more joyful. I can't become more peaceful on my own. Will you grow those things in me? In fact, Scott uh, began a prayer uh, during that time that he has prayed every day of his life ever since. And he shared this with me. He said, here's what I do, Aaron. I roll out of bed in the morning. Uh, I, I fall right on my knees. I don't even brush my teeth. I just go straight to my knees. And then this is what he prays. You ready for this? He says, God, today, would you grow in me more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, and more self-control. He's been praying that prayer every day of his life for the last 14 years. And if you were to meet Scott today, he is not the same man I met 20 years ago. The power of God's spirit has changed him. Band, you guys can come on up. The question I want to leave us with this morning is what if God's spirit could do the same in your life? What if God's spirit could heal that marriage? What if God's spirit could redeem that relationship with that friend or that child? What if God's spirit could really give you the strength you need to change that habit or that whatever it is that's just sucking the life out of you? What if the Holy Spirit resides in you. We're going to sing one last song, and as we do, I just want to bring us back to that question we started with. If you could ask God to do anything in your life today, what would you ask him? Let's let this song be our prayer and our response.